You're listening to episode 110 of 88 Cups of Tea with Yin Chang. Am I doing this right? <laughs> Hi, I'm your host, Yin Chang, and thanks for joining me on 88 Cups of Tea. This podcast is created to leave you feeling motivated from interviews with storytellers, where we learn how they create opportunities for a successful career without losing sight of the values that make us human. Woo, that was a really long run on sentence. Hey, what's up, storytellers? For those of you participating in NaNoWriMo, how is your progress going? I'd love to hear about it. There's a lot of our listeners who are checking in with each other in our private Facebook group. Jump in on the conversations happening right now. Head over to facebook.com slash groups slash 88 cups of tea. We have the most encouraging and supportive members in our group, so you don't want to miss out on this. I can't wait to hang out with you over at facebook.com slash groups slash 88 cups of tea. Before we jump into introductions for today's new guest, I wanted to thank our listeners for taking the time to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and a huge hug for leaving a rating and a review. Patrice, who also goes by the Twitter name WhimsicallyYours, recently rated our show five stars and left a really special and heartwarming review that I'm really excited to share with you. The title of her review is called A Must Listen Podcast for Creative Souls. She continued to write, I can't believe I haven't reviewed this podcast before. I've been a listener since day one, and it's crazy to believe that this podcast has blown up the way it has, but also not at all surprising given how amazing a host Yin is. You feel as if she's welcoming you to her home, into her family. So when I started listening to this podcast, I was an editorial assistant and a writer going through some really tough times. Since then, I am now an associate editor in book publishing, and I have an amazing agent, Pete Knapp, whose podcast I actually listened to and fell in love with before deciding to sign with him, and am revising my novel. Through all of the ups and downs, this podcast has been there. There's Kirsten White who shared her stories about her anxiety and made me feel not so alone. Angie Thomas who talked about how hip-hop changed her life, and that's something I've always felt connected with so much. Nick Stone who talked race relations. Holly Black who shared how her years as a curious child and various reader made her the writer she is today. Victoria Schwab, who talked about being queer, and honestly, as a queer writer who presents straight and is more femme, I so, so needed to hear everything she said. And then Renee Adier, who has some amazing plotting secrets she shared. This podcast has become my lifeblood, my go-to when I'm stuck and frustrated and down. Thank you so much, Yin, for starting this, and I wish you the absolute best in your life and writing. Know that I will always be listening, and I now have a new writer goal to be featured on this podcast, haha. If you haven't given this a listen, seriously, do yourself a favor. Doesn't matter if you're not a writer. Any creative type, any person looking for inspiration and community will find it here. Wow. Just wow. Patrice, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to leave such a thoughtful and soul-filling review. Um, I'm gonna be pretty honest. I got teary-eyed, quite teary-eyed, when I read your review for the first time. I am so honored and so, so proud our podcast was able to find its way into your life like that and be a part of your storytelling journey. A huge congratulations, by the way, for pushing through the tough times and being promoted to an associate editor in book publishing and now being represented by Pete Knapp. It's seriously unreal to me knowing that you listened to our podcast with Pete before deciding to sign with him as your literary agent. So thank you so much for sharing that. I love hearing tidbits like that. And I wish you so much luck and productive vibes during your revision process. This is so exciting. 
Storytellers, just some fun facts to share with you. I did a little bit of snooping, and Patrice is an associate editor at Disney Hyperion. She's also the founder of People of Color in Publishing, and a contributor at publishingcrawl.com, and a fellow green tea drinker. You could follow Patrice's storytelling journey on Twitter at whimsicallyyours, that's spelled with one L. And you can also learn more about her at patricecaldwell.com, that's spelled C-A-L-D-W-E-L-L. Now on to today's guest, we have Susan Dennard on the show with us. She's the author of the Something Strange and Deadly series, as well as the New York Times bestselling books Truth Witch and Win Witch. Susan is one of our community's most requested authors for the show and is known for her really helpful and eye-opening resources for writers. And not to mention, she also has a solid reputation of being known as an author who really cares about the writing community. Today's episode is a must for listeners focused on the craft of writing. We cover how to create a successful plan of attack for your novel's revision process, how to develop a strong magic system, advice on crafting a believable male point of view who isn't a stereotype or a personification of female idealism, and Susan shares the three phases of writing that helps her turn ideas into concrete stories. We also discuss ways for writers to overcome perfectionist tendencies and to use it to your advantage how to discover and fine-tune your writing process to help you reach your writing goals, how a beta reader or a critique partner can help you avoid info-jumping in your world-building, and why it's crucial to distance yourself from your story in order to help it grow. We talk about how Susan learned to be self-motivated, how to cope with the loneliness that usually comes along with a writing career, and the importance of sharing your experiences with a writing community who truly understands what you are going through. I am so excited for you all to get into this episode. Now let's jump right in. Hey everyone, we have one of your most requested guests on the show. We have Susan Denner with us today. Susan, how are you? I am very happy to hear I am most requested. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I'm burning like an idiot over here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm blushing. Susan and I were chatting a little bit before this and I was filling in all the details about how you listeners were requesting her like crazy in our private Facebook group and mentioning also how much Heart Susan has and how much she cares about her writer fans and her writer friends and that she provides an incredible support system. I did pass that on to Susan and I'm thrilled to finally get to talk to you. I'm very flattered to get to have you on the podcast and to get to know you. So Susan, it's freezing right now in Michigan where you are. You guys know how to deal with cold weather. I don't though, because I grew up in Georgia. So I'm like, get me out of here. It's a huge change then, because Georgia is also humid too, right? Oh yeah, it's humid and hot. We're here for now with my husband's job. And so we'll see how long we stay. How long have you been there? We've been here for almost five years. It is beautiful where we are, but I wouldn't mind moving somewhere warmer (laughs) one day. Not going to lie. I think if you grow up in a warm climate, you just never truly acclimate to the cold. I agree. I was born in New York and I still can't acclimate to cold. And I got so spoiled moving out to LA and San Diego now. Do you see anything in the future where you and your husband have talked about maybe heading to Georgia just to be with more family or maybe somewhere like California where it's warm without the humidity? My husband's French. So if anything, we would probably move back to Europe. Oh, we lived in Germany for three years, which was also cold. I can't escape the snow. And before that, I was <laughs> in Canada. So oh yeah, I think that would be more the direction, but I have to learn French first. So oh that God. gotta happen. <laughs> How long were you living in Germany for? We were there for three years. It was 
like, wow, what an experience. Now that I know how hard it is to move to a new country and not know the language, I will not repeat that. (laughs) If we're going to do France, I told him I have to learn French. Give me five years, learn French really well, and then we can go there. Oh my gosh, so you got to start practicing right now. Rosetta Stone. Yeah, right? We just got back from a trip there last week, and we just got home Sunday. And so I was like, all right, I'm determined this time. I'm really going to start learning. (laughs) So yeah. (laughs) Well, I hope that the move there would happen because that would be amazing and that you continue your studies and stay committed (laughs) to learning the new (laughs) language when you were in germany for a few years and it was difficult to acclimate because of the language other than that though do you miss it i miss the food generally higher quality food not gonna lie although i do think the u.s is changing a lot but yeah, I mean, it was so easy to travel from there. You know, like you can mm-hmm. go to all these European countries. You just and, hop on a train. Yeah, like, oh, let's have dinner on. in France tonight. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so I do miss that. And I learned the language well enough. Certainly, you kind of have no choice, but I never got comfortable with it. I'm a language perfectionist, which makes sense, right? Because I'm a writer. And so I get really embarrassed when I mess things up. And oh. that, I never quite got comfortable. I could comprehend really well, but speaking, I would get super shy. Can't repeat that. When you graduate from Rosetta Stone level, we're going to have to throw you in some (laughs) classes and those meetup groups. Exactly. Have you heard of those meetup groups where you can just sign up to meet with people? For example, if you want to strengthen your Spanish, meet up with people and just only speak in Spanish. One of my friends does that and she's actually quite fluent. She learned it for work. She now is in one of those, I think the actual app or group thing is called Meetup. I know what you're talking about. It is an app. I just discovered that because I was looking for something like that. It's genius because also if you move to a new place, I'm such a dork when it comes to that. I want to know more about how you fell in love with writing. Do you remember the specific catalyst or if it was a favorite book that you read? You know, I don't know that I can remember a specific moment. I've always been one of those people who lives in her head. I'm always daydreaming and growing up. I was always making up stories or telling stories. My sister used to hate to play Barbies with me because it had to be like just so. The story had to be realistic. If Barbie's motivation wasn't clear, then you know, <laughs> I couldn't play with her. Skipper like, can't be mean to be mean. She needs a reason. And so things like that, it was like pretty clear I was going to be a writer or a storyteller of some kind. I feel like I wrote my first attempt story when I was probably 11 or 12. That was that. I just realized, oh, wow, I can write. I really couldn't. I was quite terrible. But I didn't realize I was terrible. And I kept going for many years. I guess I never really thought you could make it into a real job. It's interesting because my parents were both really supportive of it. My dad, especially. My dad's a fine art photographer. So he was very much follow your passion. You're an artist. Yeah, he's an artist as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was really, really scared of sharing my work with other people. I'm still scared of that. (laughs) Let's be honest. I wonder if it's the part of the perfectionism coming in. Oh, absolutely. With the language. Yeah, for sure. I used to play team sports, but I wouldn't let my parents come see me play because (gasps) I was so embarrassed of messing up. Yeah. So clearly I have some issues I need to work through. No, not at all. I mean, in a way it works out, but also I can see how you could feel like a little bit, oh man, if I could just break through this. But dang, for someone who's such a perfectionist, you've had a lot of success. (laughs) For me, I think so much about something and I don't want to talk about it or act upon or even execute it until I feel like it's perfect. And then by then, it's three to five years later. I think that's incredible that you had 
someone in your family, like your dad with the artistic background saying, no, go for it and pushing you. I was reading your bio and you went to school to get a master's in marine bio and statistics. Yeah, <laughs> so that's way different. The thing about those is that I fell in love with science and I still love science. High school science was super not interesting and boring to me. And then I went to college and fell in love with marine oh. biology and ended up going in that direction. It spoke to my save the world side. Yeah. The world fish, they're overfished. I was going to oh. save the fishes. Obviously, that didn't happen. <laughs> but yeah, I just got really into it. And it turned out I was good at certain kinds of math statistics, which blew me off surprise. I don't know. That was my plan. I went and got my master's. I was going to get a PhD. I was going to work in fisheries and save the world. And then I met this French guy. <laughs> and he, he was he changed the course away. of my life. He really did. He was yeah. moving away. He proposed and either I could go with him or I could go somewhere else and get my PhD. And I decided, well, I always wanted to be a writer. The thing about science, it's very similar to being a writer in that, at least in academia, you don't have a deadline. You don't have a boss. You just have to get things done on your own time. And so I really learned to be self-motivated. I learned to take criticism. That became easier. And I was still a perfectionist. I finished my master's nine months early. Ha ha. Damn. that kind of person. But it did teach me like, it's okay if they tell you you suck. You just do it better the next time. Um, you cry a little, but, but you do it better <laughs> the next time. And so, yeah, so that really taught me to be super self-motivated and self-disciplined. So when I moved with them to Germany, I was like, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do it. I also did not realize how hard it would be. Oh, at that point, I had only just written lots of things, but never finished, or they were short works of fiction. It ended up being a lot harder than I thought it would be, but obviously it all worked out. You make it sound so seamless, jumping from one thing to another. I know right before that, you didn't realize you could actually make money from being a writer. This is when you were younger, right? Yeah, yeah. When it hit you, the move with Le Frenchman, after then, you're like, okay, I've always wanted to be a writer. This is the time. Did you know then? that you could actually make a living out of writing? Or were you hoping to? My thought was like, I'm barely making it as a scientist. Okay, <laughs> gotcha. So low. Gotcha. I can't get much worse than that. And I was still <laughs> getting paid. I was doing freelance data analysis for my old school in Germany. So it wasn't like I didn't have any money coming in. It right. wasn't a lot, but it was comparable to what I had been living off of. So yeah. I decided I would teach myself everything I could about writing. I wrote a book. It was terrible. I wrote another book and I sold it. How do you go from writing a book, then another it's one, then selling it? perfectionist in me. And okay, so your master's was in something totally different from writing. Yeah. Then you threw yourself in writing. So did you take classes online? I got a billion books on writing. Damn. I joined the RWA, which is the Romance Writers Association, and they have a bunch of super affordable workshops for members all online because oh, I was wow. in Germany. I was literally in like farmland Germany and I just threw myself into that. If I want to do something, I do it and I did nothing's going to stop me. So yeah. it's not necessarily a good trait, but I'm stubborn and I stuck with it, learned a lot, wrote a book. It was really bad. It was so bad and put <laughs> it away and then wrote another book for NaNoWriMo 2009. It was still pretty bad, but I loved it enough to be like, I think I have the tools now to fix this and rewrite it into something decent. I spent like a whole year revising it. I really researched the industry so that I knew everything about queries and I wrote 
a baller query, not gonna lie. It was a really good query. <laughs> I had a plan. I was terrified. And it wasn't until my critique partner was finally like, this book is as good as it's gonna get. You need to query and stop moving commas around that I finally got the guts to do it. But I was as prepared as a person can possibly be. And it paid off because I... This sounds so braggy, but I got an agent two weeks later and sold it two weeks after. I feel like I'm burning up here because you were just getting so hot. <laughs> I feel, though, the need to emphasize that <laughs> I was very lucky. It was good timing. I had done my research and I knew which agent was looking for books like mine. And so I made sure to query those agents. And then they happened to know editors that were looking for books like mine. And so it moved really fast and I got really lucky. I think you're not giving yourself enough credit too. Yeah. You can say lucky, but also you put in a lot of work. Just hearing how determined you are. People put in a lot of work. and That is true. And that's why I, I, I want to emphasize that luck element because it's, it can seem like, well, I work really hard. Why isn't it happening for me? And, I, and that's where you have this intangible the stars must align element to mm. publishing. That's fair. Does remind me of acting where there's a lot of yeah. well-prepared, trained actors. And sometimes it's like right place, right time. A lot of times right look, you know, with mm -hmm. acting, it's a lot about aesthetics too. So that is a conversation that I have with my actor friends where some that are really successful and some that are incredibly talented but haven't really quote-unquote broken in yet right we always say in the end we tell the actors who haven't broken in yet it's not your time yet and i guess yeah. that in a way is saying luck it's so true i know plenty of fantastic writers who i've been working with for years who just it hasn't been the right time their books yeah. are amazing but it's not the hot genre yeah, that was a refreshing look into that. Also very relieving for a lot of the listeners. Yeah. Because when they check in the private Facebook group, they mention a lot of times where they're submitting in the query trenches. When they share a little bit about their synopsis, I'm like, damn, that sounds like a really great story. I would love it. But then even I'm wondering silently, what is wrong with those agents? Why are they not picking it up yet? But then you brought up a really good point. That's not that genre that they're looking for yet. And I forget about that. Also, I do think it's incredible that you were on your own in Germany. I mean, aside from being with your fiance and uh, wait, was he your husband already when you guys moved? No, he, we, we, he was my fiance, but then they were like, you can't live here unless you're married. So I was like, okay, we'll run down <laughs> to Lope. <laughs> oh, we got Lope and it was fine. <laughs> All that. So you didn't have a destination wedding, nothing like that? No, no. We're, I'm not really like the wedding kind of person. I okay. think they're fun to attend, but the right. thought of planning and executing <laughs> one makes me feel sick inside. So oh, it yeah. worked out well that we were like, Sorry, mom and dad, we're just going to elope. I'm glad that it worked in your favor. <laughs> yeah. So I just can't imagine you were there in Germany by yourself while your fiance was working and then being able to do all of this, but push through the loneliness. I see it from also the emotional aspect where I'm like, she's strong. You're giving me a whole different lens through which to view <laughs> my life. I'm like, okay, maybe you're right. I just thought I was kind of weak because I was like... I want to move back to America. No, <laughs> the way that you pushed through and actually got words down and actually wrote manuscripts and still when you were basically in your own bubble in a way. Yeah, it was definitely. First of all, I don't think I would have had your willpower. I don't know if I would have your determination and stamina. I think I would find ways to sneak out and like wander around and then get distracted and not even <laughs> commit to the craft. No, that's so me. I can't sit down for a long time. Any excuse to just leave, I will. That's why I'm like, how the hell did you stay put and also staying strong? That's pretty incredible. If you have any advice, actually, now I'm thinking about it. I forget some of our listeners have moved from New Zealand to Canada, for example. 
and yeah. are starting over and our moms on top of that. A lot wow, of times yeah. they don't have time to go find friends. Do you have anything that you can share with them? Yeah, definitely. I had a dog, which helped a lot. Oh. <laughs> he, he kept me from being completely lonely. Oh. Definitely online. I made lots of friends through Twitter mostly and online. The RWA, you know, I found critique partners and things, which helped a lot. I was in some workshops, which also helped. Although I wouldn't say that I made friends with those people. I'm too much of a like, I am the student. You are the teacher. Yes, so yes. Yeah, I'm the same way. <laughs> and I was sort of naive at that time. In my head, there's no way I will fail. Even if it takes me 10 years, this will happen, period. And so like, even when I would get maybe like really negative feedback from a critique partner, I would enter con a few contests with the RWA. And hilariously, I got last place. What? <laughs> in I know, but I didn't learn I got last place until two weeks after the book had sold. So I was like, okay, well, <laughs> that's hilarious. But also it tells you how objective these mm -hmm. things are, you know? Mm -hmm. What one person likes is not what someone else is going to like. And it's the same in publishing. You might query an agent today and they are looking for your genre, but it's just not their, your style of writing just isn't for them. And so it's, you know, it's like dating. The odds of actually meeting someone, your letter crossing the right person's desk it's not very high so you really have to have this luck and patience but yeah I don't have the difficulty of having children yet knock on wood but <laughs> I think that adds actually another level of difficulty from mm. what I can tell it's actually much better to have children and then sell a book than to sell a book and then have children because mm. you learn to fit the writing into your life versus trying to fit your life into the writing which is something Ooh. I am still struggling with as you can see, I can quickly become a workaholic and I'm really bad at balance. I don't know. I lived in a really beautiful area. I am an introvert, so I was able to be okay, but I did get really lonely. And after three years, I was not sad when my husband got offered a job in the U.S. So when you moved back, how were you able to keep in touch with friends while you were in Germany? Was it like through... Uh, like I mean, your friends from home was it just like phone calls I and all this stuff you know sadly i didn't really have that many like other than one my best friend who's been my best friend forever since childhood and she lives in texas i didn't really have that many friends like most of my friends from college were all still in science and we kind of lost touch most of my friends from grad school was the same i had a few friends come and visit me so i, I guess i did have a oh. few friends that's nice. We did like a road trip together, which was awesome. And that was actually the inspiration behind Truthwitch. So yay for oh. that. Did the traveling also play a factor or influence your writing in other ways? Yeah, for sure. I mean, first of all, just in terms of seeing places, my first book, Something Strange and Deadly, is set in Philadelphia, which I don't know why I chose that because I was living in Germany. <laughs> then the second one, I was able to move to Paris and I had a perfect tour guide who could help me get everything researched. Everyone in Germany vacations in Egypt, which is hilarious. So we did that. And so that's why my third book is set in Egypt. That's so awesome. Then when I did this road trip, we went Slovenia, Croatia, and Austria. <gasps> Croatia was just incredible, and I had never been anywhere like it. And so it was a huge inspiration aesthetically, and even in some nuggets of history for the witchlands, the truth witch world. It was cool that I could travel that easily, and I did for sure. Like I said, friends would come visit me, or what we did a lot was I would meet a friend in a city. So like I met my, one of my friends in Berlin, and we spend a weekend wow. there. I would meet them in Paris and we would spend the weekend there or London. I love how it just sounds so casual. It is over there. It's 
so easy, especially Ryanair is the cheapest ever. So you can just buy a plane ticket for 50 euro and go. And so do it it's for like weekend. from here to San Fran, basically, yeah. when you think about it. it. It sounds so romantic, you know, and like, especially <laughs> if we don't have access Not to that. It, yeah. Yeah. It's like, on. oh my God, she's just totally just hung out with friends in England and then just went straight to France again, Paris, and then, yeah. you know, had lunch in Germany, like no big deal. My roommate from college, who was also a friend of mine growing up, lived in London that whole time too. What? so easy to go see her or vice versa. I feel like it was good that in some ways that I literally had no day-to-day life or distractions because I literally had nothing to do but write this book and strive for that because I became obsessed with it. You know, it was my desperate desire and I was going to do anything to achieve it. So that was probably good. But again, like I said, balancing that with actual life has not been the easiest. (laughs) How many hours would you say on average, if you remember, were you spending each day writing? I don't know if I was spending hours writing. I'm not sure versus the other things that go into writing, like research, Uh research, lots of research for my first series, brainstorming and all of that. And I was taking so many workshops just to try to learn. I didn't even know the terminology when I went into it. I had just always hobby written fan fiction and stuff. I had never learned the proper terms like character arc. There was a lot of education that had to happen. And I'm like Hermione. I love study. <laughs> I love class. That really suited me. Um, oh, and I so love to learn about craft. I love to read books on craft. Do you have books off the top of your head that you can share with the listeners? Any book that you swear by? Oh, yeah, I do. So beginners, I would actually say this is more for intermediate advanced, but it is my go-to. I was using it today. And it is called The Anatomy of Story by John John Truby. Oh, that's good. Yes. It's really dense, but I swear by it. If you do every exercise in it, you will come out with a much, much, much stronger story. I don't usually use it until I'm maybe a third of the way into a book and I start to hit that muddy middle. And then I'm like, all right, we need to Truby. Let's go. (laughs) But it really helps me clarify things and really figure out the heart of the story and what's missing. So I swear by it. That an author friend of mine recommended that to me like two years ago, or maybe not even that long, but it changed my writing life. (laughs) I took a UCLA extension class online and the author that was a teacher, she recommended John Truby's book. Yeah. And she swears by it. She's like, it's the most brilliant thing ever. She made it required reading. I honestly didn't get through the whole thing. Well, I don't I was a bad student. I, I tried I actually tried to read it years ago and I was just like, what? This is way too much work. It's too technical for me. It's so technical. And my friend swore by it. I was like, all right, I'm going to try this again. I have a book that I am really struggling with. Let's try using it for that book. And yeah, when I actually did it that way and I went in it with a really open mind, with the project, it really, wow. And ever since then, I've used it for the last two things since then. Damn, that's impressive. Thank you for that. I'm glad to hear another person swearing by it. I think that also remind me to pop back in on it. I love technical things, yet I don't. It's so weird. Do you have other books that you swear by? I really, really loved back in the day, years ago, was writing the breakout novel by Donald Mass. That was a really helpful one for me to take my writing up a notch. The number one thing I recommend is a workshop. It's not cheap, but I feel like took me from not published to published. And that's Holly Lyle's How to Revise Your Novel. It's probably a few hundred dollars, but I think it's so worth it. It taught me more about craft than anything. Wow. Is Holly Lyle an author as well? Yes, she is an author, multi-published. And then maybe 10 years ago, she started maybe more than that. 
she really started doing the writing advice thing because she's just one of those people who has a knack for teaching and breaking down complicated concepts. Wow. And so yeah, she has like a bunch of different workshops that you can subscribe to basically and you get one lesson a week. I mean, it's dense, but wow, that how to revise your novel. It's not just for revising. It literally tells you everything you need to know about writing a book. Thank you so much. So you said it's like every week you get videos. So is it almost like a drip feed? Um, it's actually PDFs, or at least it used to be. I mean, I okay. did this a long time ago. but So it's not have, live. No, she may have adjusted things. But you get a PDF that has a lesson, and they're dense. And then you have another one that's now apply it to your manuscript. And Whoa. you do. The act of applying all this stuff you just learned to a manuscript, because she's all about going through your book with different times. We're going to go through this time and focus on plot. And now we're going to go through it again and only focus on character. Well, I like that. Something about breaking that down, it makes it so much more manageable for people who are daunted by revisions, as most people are. Very bite-sizable. I like that. Yes. Oh, dang. She's a genius. Thank you for recommending that. I've never heard of that course. It's my first time hearing about her, too. I would love to check that out. Girl, you do put in the work. I admire you. (laughs) That also goes to show what everybody in the community has been saying about you is that you really care about writers, and it shows. Oh, thanks. When we started the Facebook group last year, people started to share your link. People really love the lesson that you're talking about, the cookie crumbs. So I yeah, read through yeah, that. Yeah, and I was yeah, like, oh, yeah. that was really good. It really is bite sized. The way you're talking about the other lessons just now, that's how I was thinking of you. You were able to break it down where it was so much more understandable <laughs> for people. I try. I no, spend a you lot are of really time good. I spend a really a lot of time. Yesterday's newsletter was about tightening your prose in revisions. And it took me two days to write that newsletter lesson. But you know what? It's so worth it because I know it helps people. And sometimes just me breaking it down helps me too, where I'm like, I know I will now apply this better to my own work. I looked through the cookie crumb article. I was blown away. Then after people started asking some questions throughout the year, I would just drop your link too. I was like, oh my God, this is so good. I don't know where else I can find such good resources like this. But I really do admire your heart that you give to the community. And I think that's really, really cool. And I tip my hat to you. And I just had to say that out loud so that you hear it. This is so random. And I will swerve it right back to your writing. I promise. But how was the drink scene for you? Like, were you feeling the beer and stuff? Because I've been to Germany, but I only drank a little bit of beer, but I didn't appreciate beer when I was there. And I appreciate beer a little bit more now because of my girlfriend. We lived in Southern Germany. So we were right by the border with Austria and Switzerland. And so so you're like the the best beer in Bavaria or Bayern, as they call it, is Weissbier, which is like white beer. And it's a yeasty beer. It's really, really yummy. <laughs> we drank too much of it. And, you know, went to Oktoberfest and did all that. You did! Oh my god! I, yeah, I even have a dirndl, which is the dress, <gasps> and my husband has layers. That's so, awesome! Yeah, we got it for Oktoberfest. We went with his friends, which was really fun. Oh, that's but, so yeah. cool. Moonlin wants to go to Germany just for Oktoberfest. She mentioned this before. I'm just like, okay, because yeah. she's such a beer head. Are, are you a beer head, or you just appreciate beer, but not? And then I can't have gluten anymore. Me too. There's more and more gluten-free beer that is quite good. I like IPAs and Ooh. I can find some good gluten-free IPAs. Ooh. But yeah, that was that's the saddest part about this damned gluten thing. That <laughs> and no cookies, but you can make a good gluten-free cookie now. Oh, too. That's true. <laughs> that is true. Also, my girlfriend just discovered this alcoholic kombucha drink. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gluten-free as well, and it's actually supposed to have healthy benefits. She said it was quite tasty. FYI, this is such a random side note. I worked with this girl who said her uncle got Lou disease. So her dad is a doctor. 
And she said that they were going through the test results and stuff and didn't realize he's allergic to gluten. Oh, and they God. truly believe if he avoided gluten for most of his life, then cut that out and stuck to a diet that was beneficial to his body, yeah. he probably could probably have wouldn't. avoided. Ugh. Yeah. And I didn't know gluten could have gotten to that extent if you're allergic to gluten. I had no idea. Now I've talked enough about food and beer. Tell me what's really exciting you about your work right now. It's a good question. People who follow me know that last year and the year before were really, really hard. I really struggled with Windwitch, the second book in the Witchlands, for various reasons. It's one of those things where it was like so many different factors at play. But one of the big ones was just that I did not know what needed to happen. I had written an outline and sold the series based on these synopses. And once I actually got to that point, I was like, none of this feels right anymore. And I'm one of those writers who, if the cookie's not there, I can't write it. I can hammer out words, but they're they're not going to be good. It's going to be agonizing. And if I don't enjoy it, then the reader's not going to enjoy it. I'm also one of those people, as you can probably tell, who needs to work every day and feel like (laughs) she has a product at the end of the day. And so I just spent like two years trying to hammer out words just to make progress and nothing was working and I would spin my wheels. I would realize it was bad and start over again and again and again. And I wasted over 200,000 words. I stopped counting after that, trying to find the right damned story for Windwitch. I'm so glad that I did do that. I stuck to my guns. I even turned in a book in 2015. And then two weeks later was like, I'm sorry, I'm starting over. This is wrong. What? (laughs) I I was already late at that point. So my (gasps) editor was probably like, please don't do this. But I had to. I just had to. I can't put out a book that's not the right story and that would have led the series in the wrong direction. I literally turned that book in over a year after that point. It was down to the line. It was due September 30th, absolute latest date for it to be published on January 10th, I think it was. And I got it in after midnight. It was (gasps) not quite September 30th anymore. Someone in India waiting to get it so that he could start working on it. So I was like, wow, I really put my poor publisher, but they were so fantastic about letting me do that. And I know that they all had to work really hard and I sent them many, many presents to say thank you. But it was also worth it because I really, I'm proud of that book and the way it turned out and it was the right story. And since then, things have been so much better. I learned a lot about who I am as a writer and my own process. And I learned that it's not actually good for me to try to write every single day. Mm. I talked about this in a recent newsletter, but one of the things that I really started to realize with my last two projects is that I work in three phases. One phase is where I'm just brainstorming and trying to get ideas and I'm absorbing everything. It's like the really fun part because I can feel it almost in my chest that the ideas are growing and I input music and walks and I'll play video games and watch movies, anything that's input. And then I will reach a point where suddenly the ideas start coming and I can't seem to get them down fast enough. I have a big whiteboard in my office and I keep note cards everywhere and I go. I just start getting the ideas down. And then after like a week of that, I'm ready to actually write. I will write for maybe one to two weeks straight every day. And that's great. I'm in that phase right now. I'm writing and I love it. Also, though, today hit that phase where I'm stuck again. (laughs) Crap. Here comes Truby. Instead of trying to force myself to write, and which is what I've done in the past, I would have just been like, just get it down. You can fix it later. But that's wasteful for me because then I end up either throwing everything out or rewriting it completely. And if instead I stop and I listen to my brain in another week or so, I'll be ready to write again and I won't have to waste anything. That's what I'm excited about. I think I finally cracked my own code. 
Yeah. I want to cheers to that with gluten-free beer. <laughs> That's huge just to find out what it is that you work best with and your own yeah. style. Yeah. Finding out about yourself as like a person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy about that. I'm not frustrated in the morning to write or work because I know what phase I'm in. I'm like, well, I don't need to write today because I'm in the brainstorming phase and I feel good about that. So you're giving yourself that permission just to yeah, step back a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm really, really hard on myself as I'm sure many, many writers are, there's a lot of guilt and shame that goes into, I think, art of any kind because it's such an unusual career. I hear so many women who are writers and they're also moms and they're still expected to clean the house and do everything because you're home all day. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but no, this is actually a job. Me just stealing is me working. And it's so hard to convey that to anyone. Mm -hmm. It leads to this sort of shame spiral. So me finally learning how to break out of that and not beat myself up if I don't have a really obvious tangible product at the end Mm. of the day and to kind of understand, okay, it's all right if you're not writing right now. And it's all right that those other people over there are writing right now and making Mm. you feel bad. Don't look Mm -hmm. at them. Mm -hmm. Focus on you and your book. That's a really good point you brought up. You just made me remember something where I know there are some, and and I'm not going to mention their names, but there are some listeners who I know husbands may not be as supportive about their writing and see it more as a hobby because they don't see something that's in the bank account yet. I know you said that your now husband is very, very supportive and always has been, but was there ever that conversation where you had to be like, hey, let's sit down and I want to talk about this. You may not make a comment about it, but I kind of sent some type of energy from you. It's so hard. I mean, this is one of those things why I say that writers need to have writer friends because mm-hmm. yep. even when my husband sees me go through all of this, he still will never understand what's happening in my head. And only another writer is truly going to understand that agony mm-hmm. <laughs> or the joys because there can be some really amazing moments too when you have a breakthrough. But yeah, it's I it's one of those things that I don't know because it took my husband. He was always supportive. Mm-hmm. But even when I had sold a series and I don't know that he always understood, like, why am I having to do all the cooking right now? I have a job too, which is true, but there's mm. nothing like a deadline to make you not be able to eat. <laughs> yes. So all you're doing is writing and writing and writing or working, trying to hit that deadline. And like really gotten a lot better. And he's super, super supportive. But there was one of these moments, it was, I feel like it was not even until last year. So I had been doing this, you know, for seven, eight years. We were listening to NPR, just an interview with a musician. And the musician was talking about how when you're a musician, you're always on. It's not like it just turns off. It is part of your identity, unlike other jobs. You don't, five o'clock workday doesn't end and you're done. You are literally living the life of a musician or for me, a writer. And so that he just like turned to me while driving with this look of, you know, awareness. Ah, like a breakthrough. get it. He was like, you can't turn it off. I "I can't turn it off. He was like, wow. Because, you know, it's frustrating for him in other ways in that I'm not always emotionally available because I am so deep in a story that I don't even know what's going on in the real world. Mm. And maybe he just wants to hang out and watch The Walking Dead. And I'm like, I can't do that tonight, babe. Even Mm. if I did have time, I'm in my story right now and I need to tap that. Oh, interesting. Now I'm understanding too. For me, I love to escape with Netflix and I love my Netflix. And I realized like, oh my gosh, you have to, as an artist, just from hearing your story, what I'm getting from this for myself personally is, okay, 
even if you have temptations, you got to step back and really control yourself and have some will. Yes. Power oh my gosh. To respect that story and let it brew. No yeah. wonder I never get shit done because of <laughs> Netflix. There's stranger <laughs> things are on. Come on. This is the gal with the super, super successful podcast. Mm-hmm. No. Today, all I want to do is play Witcher 3, but nope. <laughs> I have made myself stay in my office and work on my whiteboard and brainstorm my way through. And I still have to write a thousand words because it's NaNoWriMo and I'm doing this yes. charity initiative for it and I have to get my words in. Thank you for reminding me about that because also you are the NaNoWriMo queen that our community looks <laughs> up to for real. Like I think you're the person that they look up to for inspiration. Really quick, I think it was on Twitter that I saw, I think it must have been on your, your Twitter about what you're doing. And I, I love what you're doing for the Malala yeah, fundraiser. The Malala fund. Yeah, that's incredible. Is it too late for participants no, to join this? If they not haven't? at all. One of my very first critique partners, Kat Brower, she and I are still really good friends. She loves to combine writing with charity and I do too. <laughs> so she mentioned to me just in passing in September, you know, I really want to do this thing someday, which we get people to, you know, have races, you'll get runners will have their miles sponsored, but writers do that instead and get their words sponsored and we raise money for a fund. And I was like, dude, let's do it for NaNoWriMo. And I, and I, I like forced her to let me do it with her. That's basically. amazing. I thought it was brilliant. It is brilliant. Yep. And so we did. I built the website. And I Damn. used my own domain and yeah, and built the website and she set up the charity angle. And then we reached out to people for donations because the writers who are participating can win prizes when they hit certain fundraising goals. We thought maybe 20 people would join. We've had over 100 people sign up, which when it's just the two of us running everything, we're slightly overwhelmed, but it's okay. That's a good kind of overwhelm. It is, right? We're raising so much more money than we thought we would, and we're raising it so much faster than we thought we would. But yeah, so that's the general idea. People sign up, and you can still sign up. You know, you don't have to reach 50,000 words in NaNoWriMo. You could just sign up now and reach 5,000 words and raise a little bit of money for an awesome cause. But I started late because I was in France, so I didn't start until this week, and I'm playing catch up. I hit my first goal yesterday, which was 5,000 words, and my parents donated some money, and my husband donated some money in my name, and that's the idea. Other people have colleagues donating in their name and they hit these word count goals. It's been really exciting. Do you guys have an overall goal that you hope to reach? Yeah, we're shooting for $10,000. Okay, and where are you guys at right now? We're at 7500 already. <gasps> which What? We're not even halfway through the month, so I'm pretty sure we're going to hit our goal. And oh we're really God. thrilled by that because a lot of people signed up, but maybe weren't able to find fundraisers, but they're still participating. You have to donate $10 to join. That adds up fast. You know, when you have 100 yeah. people who donated $10, wow, we're already one-tenth of the way there. Yeah. There's been a lot of really friendly, cool competition because when you hit certain word count goals, you get a new badge with a different color. Ooh. And so people want to be the first to get the gold pin badge. We'll just see that and then... We do interviews with the people as they hit certain tiers. Oh, you hit silver pin. You get an interview on the blog. And so it's just been really cool to see people all around the world, which is super amazing and unexpected. That's incredible. Can you share why you ladies chose Malala Fund specifically? Yeah, I, we were really toying because there were a few that were at yeah, the top I'm sure, of yeah. our list. And I didn't learn until after the fact. NaNoWriMo was, why didn't you ask us? We would love to have been your charity. And I was like, wow. oops. Sorry, next year, guys. <laughs> but we both are, I think, very supportive of the idea of girls getting education all around the world, which is the aim of the Malala Fund, that yeah. every girl has the right to an education. And on top of that, we both, Kat, because of what she works in, and me, just because of some different communities I've worked with, 
we think it's really important to spread the word that the Muslim community is a positive one. Yes, and love that. Mm-hmm. that is a really great charity that really shows that off. That was part of what went into it. I love that. I'm very excited. For listeners listening in, it is not too late. Please, I know there's a lot of you doing NaNoWriMo for this month. I see you in our Facebook group. So if you have not signed up, please think about joining for $10 each and trying to find sponsors for yourselves. That would be amazing to help push past that goal that they set for a minimum 10000 That'll be awesome. Susan, I'm so glad that we got to tap on that. Thank you for going into detail. Letting me me talk about it and and (laughs) advertise. By the way, I'm really impressed that you built the website because I saw the website and it looked so professional. Um, And I thought you guys hired a website design team. Remember, I love to teach myself things. Back in the day, I taught myself how to do all that stuff. Are you crazy? Trailers. I do most of my own promo. Oh my God. You just teach yourself how to do it because I'm cheap, I guess. (laughs) No, I don't think it's cheap. I think you just love knowing that you're able to do it, which is awesome. And you did. Honestly, it looks so freaking professional. I thought you'd outsource it to a professional website group. Do you use WordPress or Squarespace or something? Yeah, I use WordPress. Dang. Okay. Yeah. You need to know way more coding for WordPress. I used a pretty customizable theme and then I, because it's gotten a lot better in the last few years, you can get some pretty customizable WordPress themes, but. Yeah, I can still go in and do some modifications to the CSS if I need to. Susan, why are you just flawless? I don't understand. There's nothing that you cannot do. Like I just so much that I cannot do. Oh my gosh. Listen, you are queen. Okay, just a queen. I realized we didn't even touch on any of your your listener questions. I will kick it off with Anika Naeem. She says, I freaking love Susan Dennard and capital (laughs) letters. She's the absolute sweetest and seriously one of the most helpful writers ever. Also, I'm in love with her books, Heart Emoji. My major question for Suze, any advice on how to figure out what your process looks like? I know this is something she's been working through and I'd love to hear how she really honed in on what works for her. Right now, I feel like I'm a flailing mess during nano and I want to get better about my writing process moving forward. So we definitely covered during our conversation how you recently yeah. discovered your process, which is helpful. But any other tips or words of advice for Anika? Yeah, such a familiar feeling. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's amazing that creativity can feel so out of our control. But one thing that I do think is important is to try lots of different methods. So that's why I love to read craft books. I love to see like, well, maybe what this guy does works for me. Hey, Don Truby's approach really did work for me in Mm. terms of creating a story. So I urge you, Anika, to try that if you can. Read different writers' posts on how they work. You can try some of the regular productivity tips. If you haven't heard of the book Deep Work by Cal Newport, definitely check that out. Ooh. That book really changed how I look at my own just general life productivity and creativity. But yeah, unfortunately, I think it's going to be a lot of trial and error and it's just trusting your gut. I know it's hard sometimes to distinguish between when we're being lazy and when we are feeling resistance because it's not good for us. That was what I really couldn't figure out. I spent so long just thinking I was a lazy hack when the truth was that no, this was the wrong story. I wasn't ready to write. I needed to let the ideas simmer and grow first. And I think it's one of those where if despite putting your butt in the chair every day, you still feel this deep sense of, oh, this sucks. (laughs) It's probably because what you're doing isn't right. And so Mm. I always urge writers, my writer friends as well, to step away and not feel lazy and not get angry at yourself because Mm. There's nothing more productive for me than the actual time away. I just 
saw a really good friend of mine a few weeks ago and I could see it. I could see in the way she was talking about her project and her, her just general sense of misery and panic that she was holding her ideas too tight. Mm. They had been, you know, ground to a pulp inside her fist and she needed to release it and let them grow again. And so I told her, I was like, I'm giving you an assignment. You are not allowed to work or think (laughs) about work for two weeks. If you even think about writing, you're going to tell your brain, no, it is incredibly freeing Mm. for the mind. And I know it's terrifying to do because you're like, wait a minute, it's NaNoWriMo. I don't want to stop. You can keep writing. Well, I'll be doing sprints throughout December. We can do them together. Mm. Sometimes that's what you need. That's stepping away time. That was super helpful. She also had a second part to the question where it's not so much, let's say, you know, you love the idea and you're able to flow, but then you get really easily distracted. I know this is something we just covered where we were talking about me with Netflix and you you want to play your video games. Like, no, I know I can't. I got to get this done. So Anika is having some trouble with that, with distractions Mm -hmm. and it just inevitably pops up. Is it, it's also so easy, she says, to let writing get pushed to the side when there's life things happening that take priority. So do you have anything to add to that? Again, I can love an idea. Right now I am loving writing Blood Witch, but I can tell yesterday when I was hitting some resistance that it doesn't mean I don't love the idea, but the direction I was going and the way I was articulating that idea and that scene was wrong. And so I have to step away and figure out why. But if you're truly just being super distractible, which is normal, it's totally human nature. It's anytime our brain hits resistance, we're like, "Mm, Twitter, that's easy. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to fight that. But that's why I really like doing sprints. I only do 30 minute sprints. I do them usually on Twitter or with friends. And I like it because 30 minutes is super not intimidating, right? Okay, I can turn my phone off for 30 minutes and actually Mm -hmm. just only right. And then I end up getting into it, you know, and I'm Mm -hmm. like, wow, wait, I don't want this sprint to end. Or maybe sometimes I do. I really want it to end, but I power <laughs> on to the end of the 30 minutes anyway. And yay, I have new words. Nice. So yeah, if you haven't tried that, I would definitely, definitely try it. Thank you so much. Now, Liz Huey wrote, love Susan, can't wait. And I just had to share that with you. Another <laughs> one, Anushka Pailanda. She said, I'm so excited for this. And then this is all caps. Love Susan Dennard, exclamation <laughs> mark. Okay. What? And then, right. And then we have another one. <laughs> Sarah Harvey wrote, Ooh, I love Susan! Exclamation marks. Her Instagram live videos are great. It's amazing how much time she takes to answer and re-answer viewer questions. So she just wanted to share that. (laughs) Winnie Jenkins, I feel like we pretty much covered this, but I'm just going to share what she asked. She said, any advice on how to find time to actually sit down and write? I have been trying to do NaNoWriMo this month, but it's kind of hard finding time between work and school. I try to get as much down with breaks, but I still feel myself falling behind. My advice, forgive yourself in that situation. I mean, look how much you have on your plate, hon. You got work, you got school. That's a lot. Be kind to yourself. It's okay if you don't write every day and you don't do NaNoWriMo or beat it. Even having all day, I can't beat NaNoWriMo. My goal is only 25,000 words for a reason. If you have to, set a lower goal. Or if you really, really, really want to do it, then maybe try these short 30 or even shorter 15-minute writing sessions. You might be amazed by how much you can get down. I really think you should try to be kind to yourself, friend, because you have a lot on your plate and sometimes life really does get in the way. Very helpful and so sweet. Now, Allison Elaine Warsham said, Susan gives the best, all capitalized letters, (laughs) writing advice, three exclamation marks. She's so inspirational on a personal and professional level. Her newsletter is the bomb. 
My question, where did you draw inspiration from for your magic system? And how did you go about mm-hmm. developing the magic system? It's something I struggle with so badly. That's a really intense question, only yeah. in that I could probably talk for like hours about it and get really excited. <laughs> I love world building. Yes. I think the key to building any magic system and something that I really work on because I can easily break this rule, is to actually build rules. I love Harry Potter, so please no one jump on me for this, but it always did bother me a little bit that there didn't seem to be any real coherent rules to the magic. I could never quite get a grasp. And maybe that's the scientist in me. I think for a magic system to feel truly real, it needs to have a clear set of rules that you make up. You don't have to lay them out for the reader. In fact, probably you shouldn't, because that might be boring. But you know them, (laughs) and you stick to them, And you don't break those rules so that it always feels like, wow, okay, this could actually happen. You know, when you do this, there are consequences and it always happens that way. I think that is the best thing to keep in mind when you're making up a magic system. And also, this sounds kind of obvious, so I'm sorry, but read widely and watch movies a lot and just see what they do. I'm a big fan of taking notes of what I enjoy. For me, I spend way too much time playing video games, but I love (laughs) to take a look at why I love a game so much. What is it about the story that sucked me in? And the same Mm. with books. The more you pay attention to that stuff, the more it helps your own writing. Are there any books that you recommend with strong magic systems that you admire? I always loved, when I was younger, of course, Tamara Pierce's stuff. Not that she's the first to write wild magic where you're connected to animals, but I remember, you know, as a 13-year-old thinking that was so amazing. (laughs) Then, amazingly, I read an almost identical system of magic in Robin Hobbs assassin series royal assassin i think it's called series and also loved it as an adult definitely just check out the famous fantasy greats because they are the fantasy greats for a reason perfect thank you for that now the next one we have jean rodrigue she said so excited for this episode many exclamation marks (laughs) i know i'm not the first to say this but susan gives awesome writing advice What I'd like to know is if she has any tips to step away from your outline slash plan. My personal problem is that while I don't mind deviating from my notes while I'm drafting, I have difficulty revising my work because I can't see the scenes go in any other way than how I set it out in my draft. Hence, I'm often left unsure of what to do next after finishing a first draft. I realize this is a loaded question, sad emoji face. Any tips on revision (laughs) would be extremely helpful. No, it's a really a good question. And I think something a lot of people face and why they find revision so difficult. But it's a matter of figuring out what to do. How the heck do I fix it? I definitely think not to plug that workshop again. I don't get paid for it. I should mention that. I don't get any (laughs) money every time I recommend it. How to revise your novel, I think, is a really great way to really hone in on what's not working and then figure out a very solid plan of attack. And that's actually what I call it. Every time I go into revisions, I call it my plan of attack. (laughs) I take as much time as I can between finishing a first draft and revising. If I can take a month, I'll take a month and I'll work on something else. If I can only take a few days, then I'll only take a few days. But the more distance you have, the more clearly you can see the flaws and also see alternative directions you could take things. It's hard to see something differently. And this is where, again, I think it's so important to step away and even maybe tell yourself, no, you're not allowed to think about your book because your subconscious, fun fact about the brain, your subconscious is working all the time. Mm -hmm. This is the back of your brain, that lower part close to the bottom of your head. It's always working and thinking up ideas. It doesn't always come to the front of your brain, though, where you have conscious thought. Every now and then when it has decided an idea is actually worth it, will it shoot that idea to the front of your brain and then it's, Eureka! It feels Mm -hmm. like this awesome idea came out of nowhere. But in reality, 
your subconscious has been doing a crap ton of work for you all the time. That is why I think it's really important to give your brain space because when you step away, it can really do all that hard, heavy lifting for you. And then suddenly when you get back to it, or maybe while you're out walking your dogs like me, the idea comes and then you're like, oh, it is not what I thought at all that it would be. But yes, that's it. Mm. And then you can go back and fix things. That was so good. I'm sure she's thrilled to hear this. Now, Vanessa Andrew, she says, Susan's web pages on writing were what inspired me to write again. So I'm ecstatic Aww. that she's finally in the 88 Cups of Tea community emoji face with the hearts on the eyes. I'm working on my nano draft and struggling to develop a believable male point of view. Apart from eavesdropping on men, reading, and keeping my butt in the writing chair, do you have any tips on making a male character who isn't a stereotype or a personification of female idealism? Yes, I was going to actually mention that personification of female idealism because I do think that's what happens frequently when women write men, and not necessarily in YA or fantasy, but if you get into a romance novel, that's the point, right? Mm, yeah. We want have our fantasy ideal. Are my dogs barking too much? Don't worry. They sound beautiful. I love it. They sound like they're singing. (laughs) Wonderful chorus. I think actually that your best bet would be to read books by men. I would say maybe read if you're writing fantasy, Brandon Sanderson or George R. R. Martin, which Mm -hmm. I know everyone, Game of Thrones, it's like such a cliche, but those books got really popular for a reason. They're amazing. That would be my main suggestion would pick up some well done male written books and see just how they write the male characters. I think men in books tend to be a lot more sensitive than women actually imagine them to be. Mm. I have read a male written fantasy and been like, oh, these dudes are so whiny and needy. (laughs) (laughs) They're not like the sexy alpha male I'm used to in my adult romance. I think that's just something to keep in mind. Men are people too. (laughs) Oh, that's so cute. I love that. Thank you so much. Now, Christy Mauna, she wanted to jump in and say, this is so exciting! Exclamation (laughs) marks and capital letters. The next we have Kelly Mancaruso Porter. This is all caps. She goes, yes! Multiple S's. (laughs) Susan! Multiple N's and the million exclamation marks. Please tell Susan we love her and her books! Uh And a lot of heart emojis. (laughs) And now it's back to lowercase. She says, and can you please ask her about world building and how she avoids info dumping? Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's hard to know how much is too much or too little. And also about formatting a manuscript. Does it need to be Times New Roman font and any querying tips? Also about herself in general, how she got her first agent. Thanks so much. With the querying thing and the agent, I've definitely talked about how I got my agent on my website. So if you go to the four writers page and maybe just do like a control F and look up agent, because there are so many links on there. I have written so much stuff. I know it's not very We'll link it directly to that page then. One day I'll make it a more searchable (laughs) page. And then if you haven't already and you sign up for my newsletter, you get a guide to querying and writing query letters. If you don't have that already, do it. And if you do, my number one piece of advice is just to be patient and remember that, like I said before, it is so much luck and timing and not to beat yourself up if it takes a really long time. And then the other question was world building and avoiding info dumping. Info dumping. Yeah. So, you know, one thing I always end up info dumping in first drafts and I don't worry about it too much because I know that in revisions, I can easily pull that out and break it up. But I'm maybe not the best person to ask because I feel like the number one criticism of Truthwitch is there's too much world building. (laughs) I grew up reading epic fantasy and I wrote Truthwitch in the style of adult epic fantasy, but with, you know, more YA heroines and art. And that means that you are just thrown into the world 
and you kind of have to figure it out. I definitely tell you about things, but I also expect the reader to pick it up. And that's not for everyone. I totally understand that. And it is for me. That's what I loved most. Like when I would start a new fantasy series, I would be like, oh, there's new words. I don't know what they mean, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> there's different ways of doing this. Some people really like you to just tell them what the heck's going on and other people don't. If you're really struggling to find that balance, if you haven't yet, I would urge you to work with a critique partner or a beta reader because they can help you figure out if you really are doing too much info dump or if you're not offering enough and and maybe they can give you guidelines on well maybe if you inserted this over here because it seems like a natural spot for us to talk about the king and queen mm. something like that okay that's perfect and her other question was formatting a oh, manuscript right. uh, does it need to be times new roman font I would say yes, stick with Times New Roman, unless you have some very strange manuscript where it's supposed to be handwritten. But even then, I would say stick with Times New Roman. Agents get so many query letters, they're kind of looking for any reason to say no. Mm, okay, good point. I think why risk it by not using the standard format? That was a great little technical question. I never even thought of asking that. Thank you so much for going through all of Kelly's questions. And last yeah. but not least, we have Reese Winningham. She said, first of all, let me say that Susan Dennard is one of the most supportive YA authors when it comes to giving advice to up and comers. She is also a very real person. She's nothing but honest on her Instagram showing herself even when she's stuck on something or frustrated just to prove to us that even the best struggle from time to time. It would really mean the world to me if you let her know I sincerely appreciate her advice because it has steered me in that right direction in far more than just writing. The question <laughs> she continues to say is what inspired her to be such a passionate mentor? Does teaching aspiring writers come naturally to her? Also, does she struggle with the first draft Yes. Does she finish it and go, Ugh, and then go through painfully the revision process? First of all, yes, first drafts are very, the hardest part for me. I actually love revising because I think it's the sort of left brain scientist part of me. Mm. I have something and now I must fix it. I'm working with some, it's the perfectionist, right? That we talked about. I am comfortable working with something that's already down and making it better versus a first draft in which my internal editor is constantly just saying, you suck. Why are you even trying? You are so bad at this. Stop now. Give up. It'll never be good. <laughs> because of that, I'm not a fast writer. I'm envious of people who can write quickly because it requires a certain level of belief in yourself to just turn off that inner editor and be able to write. I don't have that. <laughs> and so... And first drafts are agony, although they have gotten better since I have learned to trust my process. I definitely prefer the revisions part. <clears throat> As for teaching, it's funny you ask that because I don't know. I loved being a TA when I was in grad school. I loved doing that. I tutored when I was an undergrad. I think I just like talking about the things I love. When I was in undergrad and I was studying fish, they had just opened the Georgia Aquarium in Atlanta. And so my family and I met there so we could all go. They were in a different part of Georgia and I was in a different part in school. And I took them around and I was showing them all the fish. And I knew everything about the fish because I'd just taken ichthyology that semester. And so I'm oh. like, oh, here we have saprinity and they're the most standard type of fish. You can recognize them by the shape of their scale. And people thought I was a tour guide and started oh. following us around. Are you serious? And I was just like, I'm fine with that because I just love talking about the things that I love. I bet your family was so proud to see a crowd forming. And then I didn't even use that education. Ha ha. <laughs> I think that's a lot of what it is. I love 
writing. And I love talking about story and just all the different ways that you can tell a story and create a story and assemble a story. Me breaking down my techniques and what I do and different concepts, it helps me be a better writer. And um, it takes time, but it's so worth it, especially because all those comments from people, ah, I'm getting chills. Ah, It's so worth it because, yeah. <laughs> oh, Susan. What's the point of doing this if you're not going to help out the people who are on their way? Any excuse to talk about writing, I will gladly take. It's fun. I'm just glad people are willing to listen to me. <laughs> oh, you are so wonderful. Ah, you're going to make me tear up. That was a beautiful wrap up to their questions. I would love if you would want to share anything that you feel you are feeling compelled to tell us or share with us to wrap it up anything it's funny you were saying that because you know look out for something coming up because never would i immediately think of let me tell you about my next book because i probably (laughs) should it's like a joke with my agent and my film agent because i am the worst at selling myself i notice writers are naturally normally not very comfortable yeah i only just started adding pre-order buttons to my newsletter because i'm so proud of you I was so uncomfortable. I don't ever want people who are following my newsletter and writing advice to feel like I'm trying to sell them something. I'm giving it to them for free. I want them to trust me and know that I will never try to sell them something. But also, do please buy my book so I can eat. (laughs) I think they're thrilled and happy to have an opportunity. This is something my best friend just nagged me about yesterday on a three and a half hour phone call. She's like, how do you not have a donate button to your Seriously? podcast? I'm like, cause I can't ask people for free no. things. I need to give something in return. I want to provide them helpful resources. The thing is you do the work and give all these incredible newsletters where it's like, where can I give back? <laughs> so that's something that I'm also working through. But you do. It's just so uncomfortable. I think you and I are so similar. And I think also not to bring in the cultural aspects, but my dad being traditional yeah. Taiwanese is even going over to his side of the family's home. He's like, don't bother them. Even them cutting the fruits when they're coming over is taking away their time. And I'm like, this is your own sister. Are you serious right now? Because I go to my mom's side of the family. I'm like, all right, boo-boo, what you got in your fridge? You got some leftovers? And I'm just eating through. But then my dad's <laughs> side is so, so traditionally yeah, Taiwanese. Yeah. And my mom's side is very Americanized. And they're born in Malaysia. They grew up under the British ruling system. So right. it wasn't this traditional oh, respect. And yeah. you must bow as you pour the tea so opposite from my mom i think i ended up getting my dad's side where it's to an extreme my best friend and my girlfriend have been why are you not putting up a freaking button since the launch i can't you don't understand i'd rather have something in return like it could be a mug merchandise at least they have something in exchange if they want to give it to support then i feel better but for you ma'am you're literally no, writing out less than you. No, same. you are writing and writing and writing all these nonstop advice. Your ass should have put that pre-order button way before. We're the same. I talk. Yours is more energy. You have oh, to write it out. I Talking is better for me. You have to talk and then assemble and cut. And yeah. Well, that's- I'm glad that you have a pre-order button. <laughs> I've heard of this thing called Patreon that a lot of people are doing. For oh, artists. yeah, a lot of people do Patreon. I think you should even jump on Patreon. I get a little Jewish mothery, so apologies. No, I, but I get it. I live very comfortably. So I can continue to give free content for now, but if I ever change, then yes. What if someone wants to treat you to a cup of coffee? I want well, Susan to drink a cup of coffee that. while she's writing it's advice, me. and I want to give her the <laughs> cup of coffee. If we ever meet, I will gladly take a cup of coffee. <laughs> okay, you're so sweet. Very quickly then, since I should do this, I have a book coming out in January. 
in two months. It's called Sight Witch. It's the next in the Witchlands. I'm really proud of it and excited. It's unlike anything I've ever written before and illustrated and told through journal entries and documents in the world. I'm really excited, but also really nervous because it's not like anything I've ever written. (gasps) If you guys want to get it, that'd be great. Yes, hop on that pre-order button. <laughs> so is it only in your newsletter? Is it on your website? I hope it's on your website. Yeah, you can pre-order from my website okay, too. Good. And if you get, and actually Barnes & Noble is having a special exclusive edition and you can read the first chapter of Blood Witch, which is the next book Ooh, at the end. Dun, dun, dun. For all of you Adrian fangirls out there, you can read his chapter if you get the Barnes & Noble edition. Done and done. We're going to have all that linked up on your show notes page as well. So listeners, Thank please, you. please, I know there's many of you who've loved Susan for all of her time and dedication to giving you guys amazing free resources and writers advice as you can hear from your fellow listeners who've mentioned how much she has steered them in their own writing path please do check out her work pre-order show your support that would be amazing because this does take a lot of time to produce on her end so please go show your thanks that would be really greatly appreciated and susan thank you so much you are so freaking awesome thank you and you guys go thank in as well show her your appreciation seriously she downplays how much work and creating a podcast like this but i can tell you it is not easy and it takes a lot of work you should go thank her too in whatever way (laughs) that you can (laughs) we both are so funny (laughs) this is so funny but susan thank you so much seriously thank you so much it was really fun and that wraps up our episode with susan dennard Susan, I loved having you on and it was so nice getting to chat. Thank you for all that you do for the writing community. You are so awesome. Listeners, thank you so much for hanging out and listening in as always. Please say hi to Susan on Twitter at stdennard. For those of you who are participating in NaNoWriMo, there's still time to join Susan's fundraiser that we talked about in this episode to help raise $10,000 for the Malala Fund, which champions the rights for all girls to have 12 years of education. Head over to themightypens.susandenner.com to learn more and sign up. For the books and resources mentioned in her episode, head over to 88cupsoftea.com slash podcast slash Susan dash Dennard. If you enjoyed today's episode or if it helped you in any way, I would love to ask you for your support in taking a moment to subscribe to 88 Cups of Tea on iTunes and leave a rating and a review. Producing a podcast takes a lot of time and we put a lot of heart and soul into making 88 Cups of Tea the best that it can be. When you take those specific actions of subscribing, leaving a rating and a review that really helps our show become more visible to new listeners who haven't heard of us before, and we're really trying to get the word out about our podcast. Thank you so much in advance for helping us grow our community. Before I head out, don't forget to join our private Facebook group if you want to hang out with fellow writers and listeners from 88 Cups of Tea. I'm so excited to see you in there. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash 88 Cups of Tea. Have a wonderful and super productive rest of your week, and I'll catch you next Thursday. Hey guys, it's me again. Thanks so much for listening in on 88 Cups of Tea. Go create something magical today, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye!